0: By the SDC uh, uh, listing requirement, right, okay. so more likely than not, they're going to come back to Hong Kong, and mm-hmm. I think people were just, you know, just inferring that many other Chinese ADRs would have the same issue as well. And if all of them coming back, then you know the Hong Kong market would be inundated, you know, with mm-hmm. uh, these ADR names that that's going to soak up much of the liquidity. All right, so that is the reason why uh, the Hong Kong market is under pressure right now.
1: Is it cheap? I mean, well, certainly if you look at say the MSCI China, cheap, yeah. it's on what 8.9 times forward PE for That's MSCI right.
0: China. That's right. It is one of the cheapest in history, right? So, but then right now, obviously, earnings are still growing. Um, I think many of these companies are healthy and sound, and you know they have huge market uh, uh, shares and also entry barriers in, in China. Right, so their franchise in China is defensible. But unfortunately, you know, because of the some of the limitations uh, that I mentioned just now, uh, some shareholders find it hard to hold on to them. Right, mm-hmm. so they have to liquidate. It's unfortunate. Uh, but I think you know, irrational times like this, when uh, prices are going down despite solid fundamentals and also despite very low valuation, mm-hmm. you know, there's a there must be a trade here somewhere. We just find it very difficult to time the bottom. And that is the reason why we're not making a very loud call on, you know, bombing fishing just yet.
1: Okay, Hal, thank you very much for your thoughts there. That's Hal Hong, Chief Economist at Grow Investment Group. You're listening to Money Talk on RTHK Radio 3. In the markets, SX200 in Australia up 1.9%, Nikkei 225 in Japan rising 1.4%, the Cosby in South Korea up 1.7%, and Hang Seng Futures pointing to gains of 250 points at the open this morning. I'll be back tomorrow morning at uh, 8 o'clock. Stay tuned for back chat after the news with Jim Gould and Mike Rouse. And the weather forecast for today, mainly fine and dry. Maximum temperature around 29 degrees. Uh, It's going to be windy, mainly fine and dry in the next couple of days. There is uh, 25 degrees out at the observatory, 65% relative humidity. 832, here's Todd Harding with the Half Hour News.
2: A professor of politics and international relations says China's new leadership lineup signals a consistency in policy direction. Joseph Gregory Mahoney from East China Normal University in Shanghai told RTHK that President Xi Jinping had assembled a team that was familiar with the main population centres, and this could be used to drive economic growth.
3: Point is that uh, most of these uh, people who uh, are, are coming in, um, they have, uh, in one form or another. Uh, had some major experience leading uh, major cities. Um, And uh, again, this this, uh, appears to indicate, uh, at least uh, to some of the people that I've spoken to, um, uh, pulling together a very strong domestic uh, uh, international economic team uh, that's really able to move uh, the major cities as the the focal points of economic development in, in the upcoming recovery
2: period. President Zelensky has condemned unsubstantiated claims by Russia's defence minister, Sergei Shoigu, that Kyiv was preparing to use a so-called dirty bomb and then try to blame it on Moscow. In comments directed at President Putin, Mr Zelensky said there was only one man who could use nuclear weapons in that part of Europe, and that was Mr Shoigu's boss.
4: If Russia calls and says that Ukraine is allegedly preparing something, it means only one thing. Russia has already prepared all this. I believe that now the world should react as harshly as possible.
2: Earlier, Mr Shoigu held a flurry of phone calls with his counterparts in the US, Britain, France and Turkey. The call with the US Defence Secretary was the second in three days. And the former British Prime Minister, Boris Johnson, has said he won't stand in the race to replace Liz Truss. Mr Johnson said while he had enough support to run, now is not the time. The former Chancellor, Rishi Sunak, is currently leading the contest. The BBC's Rob Watson has more.
5: So Boris Johnson is not making a comeback, but it's not from any lack of desire or self-belief. In a brief statement, Mr Johnson said he believed he was well-placed to lead his party to another election victory. He blamed his decision to withdraw on an unwillingness by the other two candidates, Rishi Sunak and Penny Mordaunt, to come together behind his leadership in the national interest. His supporters will be disappointed, but his opponents had
2: feared his return would make Britain even even more of a laughing stock than it is already. You're listening to the news on RTHK.
4: Good morning and welcome to Backchat. I'm Jim Gould and your guest presenter today is Mike Rouse. Good morning, Mike. Good morning, Jim. On today's programme, The Way Forward for the Country after the 20th Chinese Communist Party Congress. With President Xi beginning a third term in office, we're taking a look at some of the major economic policies such as common prosperity, dual circulation and the green economy which are being written into the revised constitution. What do these concepts involve and how will they be achieved? After 9.15, calls for the government here to address uh, transportation problems in the East Kowloon area. Let us know what you think. You can leave a message on our Facebook page, Backchat on RTHK Radio 3, email us at backchat at rthk.hk, or give us a call on 233 266 That's 233 266 Joining us now on the line, we have Einar uh, Tangan, who's a senior fellow... At the uh, Beijing-based uh, think tank, the Taihe Institute, and also on the line, Andrew Lung, international and independent uh, China strategist. Uh, good morning to you both. Uh, perhaps, Einar uh, Tangan, we can come to you first. Good morning. Good morning. Good morning. So, uh, thanks for joining us. So, so the, these um, economic uh, policy concepts, uh, common prosperity, we've, uh, we've discussed before, but... Um, it is obviously a big topic. Um, um, how do you think uh, China is going to go about uh, achieving a common prosperity?
3: Well, I mean, there's two parts to it. There's domestically and uh, internationally. Uh, in this case, international is probably going to be regionally. Uh, common prosperity is the sense that we're all in the boat together and it's uh, a rising tide for, for all ships. Uh, stranded. Mm-hmm. Uh, China takes a unique view in that it's about people-oriented policies. Mm-hmm. And, you know, while you know, that just sounds, okay, fine, whatever, no. It's very important because there's this, a subtle difference. It's, it's not an either-or. But in many countries, especially uh, democratic uh, countries in the global developed north, the assumption is that, you know, if you do something economically, it will somehow trickle down to the people. So in the United States where they have 10.1% uh, uh, poverty, uh, the idea is, you know, the kind of constant emphasis is what are we doing about the GDP? How are we helping the big banks? You know, this is too large to fail. We need to stimulate, the uh, you know, the wealthy. We need to give them tax cuts. We need to, uh, you know, do, help them uh, create the economic base that will somehow trickle down to the rest of the people. Well, obviously, if you're part of that 10.1% of the American population, you're not really feeling that trickle down. So they approach everything from economics. Economics and the market will solve all things. In China, they say, no, you know, the economics and the market are means to an end, but they're not the end in itself. It's socialist values, principles, uh, equality, uh, shared prosperity. That is most important. So... They, you know, In the Chinese side of it, they see it as sustainable. If everybody is you know, <laughs> doing well from society, they're going to support society. If people aren't doing well from society, it's really hard to see them supporting that. And you see that happening now in a lot of countries uh, in Europe and the United States. What's unique about that is these used to be the bastions of stability. They were upheld to the world as, you know, here are the leading countries. They're wealthy. Uh, they're able to uh, rule, uh, have their countries ruled and ordered uh, according to these principles. But today we see disarray. So China is taking its own path. It always has. It's always been a socialist nation. And it's just simply saying that we are going to put socialist principles as part of not only our domestic, but also our uh, international. Probably would be the global South and also uh, Central Asia that are most uh, uh, attuned to what uh, uh, China is trying to do.
6: Does this uh, good morning? Does this emphasis uh, imply that China is accepting that the U.S. policy of disengagement and and separating is is going to happen, and we we better we better get used to it?
3: Well, yeah, I mean, it, look, it takes two to dance. If you don't want to dance, I can't dance with you. And uh, the United States is convinced that it has a strategy that will keep China in its place. Um, a lot of people think this, well, I shouldn't say a lot of people. I believe that it's uh, basically colonialism 2.0. This is a, an effort to, in essence, keep any country that is not uh, the United States from achieving any kind of real power. You and you know, this was seen with Japan in the past. In the 80s, when uh, 70s and 80s, when Japan was doing very well, the U.S. saw it as an existential threat to U.S. Uh, economic dominance, and they forced uh, Japan uh, to sign the Plaza Accord in 1986. Well, what's significant about that? Well, today, if you measure the GDP uh, in real-dollar terms, Japan is now less, worth less in inflation-adjusted dollars than it was in 1986. So it has actually gone backwards. And this was all at the insistence of the United States that said the world order depends on the United States, not Japan. So therefore, the U.S. should be preeminent. So at this juncture, the U.S. is seeking to do the same thing, but China is not Japan. China has taken a central role in the uh, world supply chain, they do things that cannot be replicated at the same cost levels. Right. So therefore, if you say, well, I'm going to onshore my industry, or I'm going to try to, reach to change the world, that sounds good, but it goes against all market principles. If it takes you 2x to produce something, and it takes me 1x to do that, uh, the economic logic is people are going to buy from me not from you. And if you force them to buy yours through tariffs or whatever, all you're doing is increasing inflation. You're taking away their disposable income. You're taking away their choices. Right? Right. So at, at this juncture, the U.S. simply trying to do what it's done in the past, maintain its hegemony economically, politically, and militarily. Uh, they see this as n- not something um, negative. They, they really see this under American exceptionalism. They really believe that the United States needs to be in control of the world and to be imposing its views on other nations in order to keep the world from going into World War III. Right. And as we can see, uh, World War III is getting closer, not further, by mm. these kind of exercises and dominance by I mean, the U.S.
6: One of the features of China's policy over the last 50, 60, 70 years is that it's not going to be bullied.
3: Yeah, a well, 100 years of humiliation will do that to you. I mean, uh, yes. China was at the uh, apex of the world order, and then um, colonial powers uh, with superior um, <clears throat> military technology came in and basically ran roughshod over it. And not oh, just China. This was the entire world. I mean, everyone used to say the sun never sets on the British Empire. Well, the fact is the British Empire uh, colonized uh, large parts of the world. Uh, it took, uh, you know, the riches. I mean, there was, i give you an example, in India, prior to the British coming, it accounted for 24% of the world's GDP. When the British left, though those many years later, claiming that they had brought in civilization, you know, uh, religion and... Uh, and uh, Free speech you know,
6: railways.
4: whatever.
3: <laughs> <laughs> the GDP was
4: 4%. Right. Um, Andrew Lern, good morning to you. Uh, thank you for joining us. Uh, just, uh, we'll talk just a bit more about this, this concept of uh, common prosperity. I mean, to anybody of a, a left-wing persuasion, it sounds like a, a splendid idea. It's a socialism in action, the whole point of it, right? But uh, um, do, do you think there may be, uh, if you like, uh, somewhat better off... People now wondering and perhaps feeling a bit uh, nervous about uh, uh, financial redistribution. Perhaps uh, you know a, a Robin Hood tax has been mentioned. I mean, uh, how, how do you think it's going to work in practice?
5: Well, first of all, definitely it's not about Robin Hood, um, and also it's not just about uh, you know forcing the um, uh, the super rich in China uh, to donate their money. Um, it's not as simple as that. Uh, because um, inequality is not only a phenomenon in China, it's worldwide. Um, And obviously the market has not been working uh, perfectly, um, as uh, exemplified by various studies, including the last one, um, uh, the tomb by um, Thomas Piketty. Um, Mm -hmm. Inequality is is now reaching back to the the era of the Belle Epoque, you know, the, the, the 1930s, um, and and where there is wealth is concentrated um, in the elite, um, for example, um, by some estimates, the world's um, a dozen of the world's multi billionaires control almost half of the global wealth. So obviously, the markets, um, uh, uh, the trickling down principle, has not been working well because um, the return on capital is much more now than the return on labour uh, or employment. Even though you are top CEO, there's no comparison with people like um, you know, sort of Bill Gates and, 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 and Google, the founder of Google and so on and so forth. And these people, of course, can have various means uh, to escape the taxation. Um, uh, for example, it was estimated that um, even um, uh, Google you will know, pay very little tax, almost new tax, by relocating its headquarters to Ireland or something. So I think that this is a worldwide phenomenon. But t- particularly in China, is particularly important because uh, China is a socialist state. Uh, and then for inequalities to happen, to rise, it threatens the legitimacy uh, of the Chinese Communist Party but the question is how China is to address that as I said it's not just about the redistribution it's to create opportunities uh, for the um, for the young um, for the disadvantaged class and to make sure that the market is not
6: much Whatever. concentration of market power—that's that's I think yeah. what is being resisted. The de facto monopoly that these very yeah. powerful technology companies are able—and they, so they can grow outside their core area because they control the technology. Of course, yes. Uh,
5: well, and also the the, the 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 big big question in China is that well, with the worsening demographics, you know, how China is growing, the growth. Economy uh, is China going downhill? Is China's uh, trajectory peak? if you go And so, so, and, and so that increases productivity and creates opportunities for uh, a larger proportion of the population.
4: Just pause you there for a moment, uh, Mr. Lanka's uh, announcement here from the Transport Department. Uh, it's congestion oh. on uh, Hiram's Highway uh, near Sai Kung uh, owing to a traffic accident. Uh, a one lane, two way traffic arrangement is being implemented on Hiram's Highway near Pakwai. Uh, the traffic queue, uh, Kowloon bound, ends at Taimong Jia Road and near the uh, Taiwan pumping station. And the queue in the other direction on Hiram's Highway, Sai Kung bound, ends at Ho Chung Road. So, I mean, try and find uh, another way of getting around that part if you can. Um, yes, uh, sorry, can we uh, perhaps. Um, uh, just picking up on that point yeah mechanization and uh, and, and a lot of jobs uh, being done by robotics and and i t and what have you um uh, uh, what happens to the the people who were involved uh, in those manual jobs which uh, now no longer exist um, uh, perhaps uh, perhaps um, einar Tangen, is there, is there a is there a retraining scheme is there a program to um, you know reorganize the workforce in that way
3: Can we? Yes. Yes. I mean, yes, there are attempts Uh, to do this. Uh. Uh, And there's there's a couple of ways you could approach the problem. One is you could say to yourself, okay, um, we don't need as much physical labor, and a lot of it will be associated with the services industry, and that that has uh, been there. But, you know, I, I think there has to be a little bit of creativity. There's talk about going to four day work weeks. Well, what if you went to a three and a half day work week? And, you know, instead of, you know, one person works three and a half days and then another person takes up their job for three and a half days. What do you have? Well, people get more leisure time, but at the same time, your, your uh, entire you know, uh, industry, your entire economy is working seven days a week. Uh, there, you know, ideas along that, uh, it is absolutely certain that the countries that prepare their workforce for the future are going to be the ones who benefit from it. I mean, it's it's uh, tautology. <laughs> it, it makes sense in itself. So you know, at this juncture, it's about changing, understanding how these changes are going to be, uh, how they're going to affect the economy, uh, also uh, culturally how this is going to affect people. Right. What are the opportunities here? I mean, I think most people would be very, very delighted to have three and a half days of basically leisure time uh, to do the things that they want to do they'll spend money doing it um it doesn't have to be just about money but they're supporting uh, part of the economy um have there? there's not been a suggestion along those lines but you know before we get into this new economy and how we do that remember this i, I think it's false to say that oh if you don't have a growing population you're not going to have a growing economy United States is 5% of the world's population it uh, consumes uh, over 20% of the world's uh, resources and GDP I mean that's that's a lot you, you don't need more people what you need is more disposable income to drive uh, the service sectors nice. which then employ more people which then drives what the service sector it's a it's a virtuous cycle going up but you know during hard times those cycles can go down so there have to be new metrics Today, uh, everyone talks about GDP. I, I'd ask anybody out there, what does GDP mean? Every economist will tell you it's inaccurate. It was made to measure the gross domestic product of countries at a time. But if you made something in that country, it was from that country. But that doesn't work when, to, in today's environment, the GDP is c- counted multiple times because is one product will go across uh, a border to have some work done, it, whether it's painting or whatever, and then it comes back. Each time it goes back and forth across the border to have some sort of uh, uh, value added, it's counted again in GDP. So GDP does not work well as a measure of a, an economy. It depends on global supply chains. Right. And, and it, we've known that. And it, where are the measures uh, to replace that? And, and this is part of the reason that we're not able to solve a lot of things today. You cannot solve something if you can't measure it, if you don't understand it.
6: And, of course, and, excessive, uh, consum- excessive consumption, I mean, there's an argument if the world is to be sustainable, um, we, there, should, there should be fewer people. It, In a sense, it's not a problem. It's yes. it's part of the solution. <laughs> and also you've got... Absolutely. Fa- factors such as with a much higher elderly population as a proportion is going to be uh, care for them is quite labor intensive um at least for for the foreseeable future i mean not everyone's going to be comfortable being cared for by robots
3: <laughs> yeah. mm. Mm. no i i i completely agree it, it's it's we set up a lot of false dichotomies, these false choices, where it's always A or B, and there's no, there's no nothing in between them. And, and this is going back to this issue that we were talking about before uh, about uh, you know economies and it's is it Robin Hood uh, economy? Do you have to you know take all the money away from the wealthy uh, and give it to the poor to create an equal society? No, I mean. Quite frankly, it's a balancing act. You have to give people incentives so that they do the best, so that they can feel that, uh, that they're contributing and making something for themselves and their families. You know, you saw that under Deng Xiaoping uh, when these you know, farmers got together and said, hey, this system isn't working. Uh, let's sign an agreement that we're going to change the way we uh, produce. We're going to give ourselves an incentive. We're going to give everything we're supposed to give to the state. But then after that... Anything we grow above that, we're going to sell uh, for ourselves and for our own benefit, and that set in motion a sweeping change throughout China. So you do have to have incentives, and it's not about just take all the money from the wealthy. It's a balancing act. But you know, there's so many ideologues out there who just say, "Well, if you do this, it's you're either A or B. There's nothing in between. Hmm. You know, you, you can't you can't have a, you know, a social society because it's it's counter." To a capitalist society, it's not true. And China's shown that you can have socialist principles at the top, which are are put into place and activated by market-based realities. You know, people you know want that incentive. They want to know if I work hard, I can do better. So yes, you have to keep those in there. But it, it, it just—I really don't like this idea that it's being set up by. Uh, I mean, false prophets and, and ideologues that you can either be A or B, there's nothing else. I mean, there's right. so many of these uh, uh, false dichotomies being spread throughout the world, whether it's uh, you're talking about uh, COVID-19 or economics or, uh, or uh, you know, politics
6: themselves. Right, Andrew, what about this emphasis on the green economy?
5: Well, first of all, um, I think that in the Party Congress, Uh, President Xi stressed on the importance of quality growth, not just the GDP and and so on. And in fact, uh, the idea is not to catch up with the United States because uh, that's not the main aim. The main aim of the Communist Party is to bring about better lives for for most of its people. And that's the legitimacy of any government. And so the emphasis on quality growth. But what does quality growth mean? Well, quality growth, first of all, is is, um, the question of productivity. Not just sheer um, numbers or or or, 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 or growth. Uh, it's how the growth would bring about better lives, a better environment, a more balanced economy, so that everybody would have um, um, uh, opportunities. Uh, for advancement. Uh, secondly, um, referring to the question of population, um, I think we are nowhere back to the Matthews um, kind of theory that the world is overgrown with population. Um, the question is not population. The question is, again, productivity. Now the productivity in this day and age is characterized by the fourth industrial revolution, you know, the Internet of Things, 5G, the digital economy, automation. So all these are uh, embracing the whole world. Even with more population and the productivity would be would generate enough food and well-being for a lot of people now and and of course that the china That several cities are highly connected by highways, motorways, and so on and so forth. And there are so many, over a dozen uh, clusters, city clusters, um, in the eastern seaboard, um, in, in the uh, eastern part of China, um, in, in, the, in the most di- economically dynamic regions. and Andrew, China's
4: going to double down yeah. on that to increase it to 70,000. Andrew, I'm sorry to stop you there. We'll pick this up again at three minutes past nine. We've got to take, okay. a, break, we've got to take a break for the news uh, right now. A um, uh, quick look at the weather, mainly fine and dry. Uh, current temperature is 26 degrees, uh, humidity 63%. We'll be back at three minutes past.
2: You're listening to the news on RTHK.
4: And welcome back to Backchat uh, with Mike Rouse and me, Jim Gould. And this morning, we're talking about the way forward for the country after the 20th Chinese Communist Party Congress. Uh, with us, we have uh, Aina Tangen, who's a senior fellow at the Beijing-based think tank, the Taihe Institute, and Andrew Lung, international and independent China Strategist, uh, if you want to join the conversation, you can leave a message on our Facebook page, backchat on RTHK Radio 3. You can email us at backchat at rthk.hk or give us a call on 233-88-266. Um uh, Andrew Lung, just before nine o'clock, you were talking about um, development, city clusters, connectivity, high speed rail. Um, sorry, I had to cut you off because we were approaching the time signal, but uh, would you like to continue?
5: I think that that's that's very clear now that the urbanisation is is going to contribute to um, um, China's productivity growth uh, in a very very big way because there is no um, this is the biggest urbanisation biggest and fastest urbanisation exercise in human history. But anyway, having said that, though uh, the uh, National People's the uh, uh, National Party Congress has also this um, uh, speech focused also on a more inclusive society in china and that's of course related to common prosperity but not only more inclusive in china but more inclusive world now there is a, 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 a way from apart from economics it's all also, also geopolitics now first of all in, in inside china a more inclusive china means of course um enabling the uh, disadvantage, uh, the underprivileged, uh, those in the poorer um, regions uh, to have the opportunities to rise up to higher levels and standards of living. And this underpins his um, um, campaign uh, of uh, poverty ratification during the past few years, lifting almost um, another 100 um, um, million uh, very poor peasants out of poverty. Um, So that's a a tenet uh, of uh, uh, common prosperity. Now, a more inclusive world means, as you can see, the world order uh, after the Second World War is being dictated by one single country, the hegemon, the United States. And the United States, of course, is is, um, imposing uh, its model
6: China doesn't seek to impose its model on other countries. No. Um, well, you use the word inclusive a few times there, and I think that's uh, that's at the geopolitical level. But um, I was wondering, among the personnel changes this time, there are no women in the in the top leadership. That's a that's a quite a significant change, isn't it? What, what's the cause of that?
5: So, are you asking?
6: Yes, I'm asking you because you oh, used. Oh, yeah. Okay, thank you. You, you used to.
5: Another you know. <laughs> okay. Well, I'm. I'm very <laughs> yeah. glad to hear, to answer that <laughs> because you're seeing you're steering away me. from the politics, you know. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think that there is no. Uh, the President Xi is now, uh, concentrating, uh, power. and uh, the question is that h- why is doing it? Because there is a lot of rhetoric in the, in the, in the West, um, that China, uh, the President Xi is uh, trying to grab power, uh, to, um, aggrand- uh, himself. Uh, but I think that this is, uh, mistaking, um, or misrepresenting, uh, China, uh, and of course President Xi himself. Uh, the reason is that, um, uh, first of all, um, the President Xi's elevation to uh, this high level of of power um, is is the result of uh, of degree of consensus within the party. Uh, of course, there are some disagreements, but um, with um, um, uh, that's how the Chinese Communist Party works. Because in the early days, um, days of Chairman Mao, uh, there was a lot of infighting um, amongst various factions, leading to great instability in the Chinese Communist Party. But now they have learned. Uh, uh, from history, from the third chapter in China's early um, um, development. Uh, So all the differences have been ironed out and discussed and negotiated uh, behind the scenes before, well before this party congress. So um, the West uh, kind of concentration uh, 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 zeroing in on on the third term for presidency as presidency is forcing this on on the rest of the country.
6: The Western media seem to be quite, yeah, the Western media seem to be obsessed with uh, some moving away from past guidelines that some people 67 and below are not continuing and some people 68 and above are are continuing. So those two guidelines seem to have faded and they were only guidelines. But I, I am intrigued by the fact that no women have made it at all. Um, yep. into the yep. top yep. level.
4: Einar yep. I, 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 Tangen, uh, do, you, do you think there is a, a lack of uh, understanding in some sections of the Western media about you know exactly how the government and politics uh, operates in China?
3: Well, yes, you could say that. No. <laughs> uh, it, it's quite clear. I mean, it, it, China is... I, I'm an American. I noticed the differences between it. I was involved in American politics uh, we we have this uh, you know this idea that it's corporate that you know as soon as you get fifty one percent it's like in the in the U S Senate and all people care about is having majority uh, they don't care about consensus and that's one of the reasons in the United States uh, and other places why you have you know such virulent uh, dislike of you know parties and polarization and things like that because there's no consensus no one says look how do the other people feel about if we implement this policy so they go forward i i'm in control i'm going to do what i want and then of course invariably the other side gets in control and they try to reverse everything that the other side did and you have a complete mess Uh, china operates on this consensus model so unfortunately everyone tries to take their experience uh, whether it's from Great Britain or America, Australia, of, of these kind of uh, developed northern powers and their democracies and, and try to impose that view on China. So they come up with this, oh, Xi Jinping is calling all the shots. Without any kind of knowledge of how the party works, the fact that it has 92 million members, try to get five people to decide where to go for a restaurant, let alone 92 million. So going back to what uh, my colleague, uh, Said Andrew said, it's an issue about how you uh, manage uh, the expectations and also the government. So from China's system, what they do is they say, uh, we're going to have a representative democracy. Now, representative doesn't mean you elect a representative. In the United States, we have that system. Unfortunately, it's a club for millionaires, especially in the Senate or very, very wealthy people or people from elite schools, but they don't represent housewives, garbage men, all right? They don't represent the majority of society, which is perhaps one reason why you have so many uh, impoverished people and a middle class that is declining. Instead, China says, look, we will have people who are at every single level of society, every single job, and those are going to be the delegates. These are going to be the people from the party who are representing these different areas. So they spend a tremendous amount of time vetting every single policy that they're proposing. So these five-year plans, these represent millions and millions of man hours, women, men and women hours, um, examining, harmonizing, trying to figure out what is the consensus uh, position, who's going to be hurt by this, who's going to benefit from it, how do we balance this out? So, you know, there's a lot of criticism. Everyone says, oh, they, they get to the uh, uh, NPC, National People's Congress, and they just, they don't do anything. It's just a rubber stamp. Oh, how clearly they missed the point. Right. Mm-hmm. By the time it gets there, it's gone through an exhaustive multi-number of reviews, something that has never, never occurs in the United States. It's also put out to the public for comment. Right not something that rarely happens in the united states so i mean or in other uh democracies i couldn't it shouldn't just focus on the u.s so it's a different system it works it's delivered for 40 years and it's going to continue so when you get to these leadership issues like today you have to keep in mind a couple of things one xi jinping and the rest of the party believes that they are at a moment in history when they are at a crossroads as he referred to in his speech, He okay, said so there are dangerous headwinds both uh, domestically in terms of moving the economy, getting past COVID-19, um, and there's also international uh, crosswinds with the United States' intent on containing China. So this is not a time to be changing horses in midstream, and this is a time when you need a very nimble all right, team that can work together very well in order to do that. But here's the other side of that. Once you have the agenda, which he expressed, that was the party report. Now he has his team, literally. I mean, his team. These are all people that he's worked with uh, over many years and feels very comfortable with. Now you have the ball. Everything that happens from this point forward, all right, uh, apart from luck, it is all going to come back to Xi Jinping. And, you know, in in sports, there's this idea that winners like to have the ball. They like to be in a position where they can use their skill, all right, and try to win the game. And right now, that is what Xi Jinping is doing. He's taking enormous stress. He doesn't have to do all of this stuff. He could just enjoy himself, you know, uh, be like, you know, some some of these African dictators who just kind of just sit there and enjoy, you know, life. He doesn't do that. He's constantly working. Right. Trying to move China in a particular direction. And this is something that just does not, is not understood uh, outside of, of uh, Asia.
6: I've got a I question. just
3: don't understand yeah. this idea.
6: I'd, I'd like to ask something coming straight from the policy address here by our chief executive. He talked about a red team, the idea being that whatever policy was being proposed, that A group of people would go away and try and tear it to pieces so that you would make sure that it was as robust as possible before that policy actually came out uh, for implementation. That's my understanding of what our chief executive was saying. Does uh, the mainland have something equivalent to this where they test policies and and, and try and iron out the kinks? Yes.
3: Uh, they do, and it's exhaustive. Uh, it's not a red team of experts who sit in a room and uh, theorize about something. Right. What they do is, um, it's a uh, policy will start off at the national level. I, I, I wrote books about this, uh, about how government functions in China. So that's that's how I learned about it. Um, so a policy comes down. They they say, okay, this is this is something we want to do. It is sent down from every. Uh, lower level, down from the national to the provincial, uh, down to the major cities, the secondary cities, all the way down to the work units themselves. And each one has to comment on this and say, well, yes, we, we could do this or here's a problem. And all of these comments go back up to the top. All right. So what happened coming down this is reversed and all of these comments are collected and then they have to be harmonized. Then the next step is They will have uh, models, all right? They'll implement using, uh, you know, experiments. Uh, They'll just try this. Okay, here's a national development uh, idea. You know, uh, my colleague was mentioning clusters. How did those come about? Those were experiments that were done many, many years ago where they, they created these economic development zones, and they realized that the efficiency of the economic development zone depended on having all the pieces within that were necessary to produce uh, a product in that that area, all there. So I wrote a book about Kunshan. Kunshan, I mean, literally, if you wanted to create a laptop, uh, this is you know ten fifteen years ago, you could go across the street and get a motherboard. Uh, you go across the <laughs> other street, you could get a. Uh, there was a plastic injection molding, so you could design your things. They had the cameras. Everything was right there, within literally walking distance. Now, if I was trying to do that in the U.S. or Europe, I'd have to send to China for this. I'd have to send to Indonesia for that, Japan for this, uh, you know, all sorts of places. It would take months or even years to do what I could probably do within a week uh, within uh, this economic development zone. And that's the reason why, uh, you know, uh, Foxconn was there and they were making the majority of uh, laptops uh, uh for the whole entire world, HP, everything—all was with compact. those all coming out of the same basic factories because they had the infrastructure to produce the most efficient system.
4: Okay, okay. So uh, th- this,
3: this this is an example of how you know you, you can do things better, and mm. how China is uh, is approaching the new um, you know I- digital economy. It's about efficiency. Mm. L- look at everything that makes money on the internet uh, through the internet. It's always been about efficiency, and that's where the main bet is.
4: Okay. Okay. Thanks very much uh, for that. We've just got a a minute or so of this uh, part of the programme left. I just wanted to ask um, uh, Andrew Leung uh, just before we uh, bring this to a close, if you can uh, can can just bear bear with us just for another another minute or so. Um, uh, We didn't really get round to uh, talking about the concept of dual circulation, which involves uh, obviously uh, the promotion of the domestic uh, economy as well. I mean, um, can we expect uh, any change? Do you think in uh, in sort of economic Policy and direction in the coming years. Well,
5: definitely, mm. definitely. Well, this is tied in, tied with the uh, idea of common prosperity and the kind of people-based uh, governance. Uh, in fact, there is a higher uh, plane uh, in that that the um, the Communist Party uh, prides itself uh, to achieve people democracy. Now, the word democracy has actually been uh, ventilated and. Um, um, a number of times uh, during the presidency speech. But what is meant by people's democracy is that the party would have the well-being of all the people at heart uh, and and not the only the people supporting the winning party as in the case of West So um, I think that there is a, a huge um, a, a tsunami of misunderstanding um, 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 following the, the party congress. Uh, we have got no time for, to, to, to ventilate more of this, but I think it's interesting. There is a, a total misunderstanding of China, which translates into a worsening uh, confrontation between the United States and China without realizing that, you know, <laughs> Beijing is not trying to, to, to supplant the United States. It's, it's, it's focusing on bringing better lives for most of its people. Mm-hmm.
4: Mm-hmm. Okay, okay. well thanks uh, very much uh, for that. Uh, that was uh, Andrew Leung, uh, international and independent uh, China strategist and thanks very much to Aina Tangen, who's a senior fellow at the Beijing-based think tank uh, the Taihe Institute. And for the last, uh, let me see seven or eight minutes of the programme this morning we're going to turn our attention to um, a more of a local issue and that is the uh, transport links in Kowloon East. Um, this after the, the Federation of Trade Unions um, uh, on Friday uh, held a news conference and expressed uh, some disappointment that there wasn't more in the policy address about uh, new transport for the area saying that um, it lacks mass transport links, about three hundred thousand residents there, uh, say their their livelihoods um, po- possibly suffer because of that uh, there's a, a further one hundred thousand people are expected to move into new public housing in the area in the future. Um, we're joined on the line by Alec Jane, who's managing director of Trans Consult Limited, which is a, a transport uh, consultancy um, Alec Jane, good morning to you.
7: Yeah, good morning,
4: Jim. Thanks very much uh, for joining us again. uh, Sorry to keep you uh, waiting there. Our our previous uh, discussion uh, uh, overran a little bit, but um, obviously it's a very interesting topic. So uh, so it's good of you to join us, good for you to talk to us. Um, What do you think about the situation uh, over there in, in East Kowloon? Could it be served by better transport links? Well,
7: it indeed requires to be better served by, you know, transport links. And and I think when I when I look at East Kowloon today, there are actually two parts of East Kowloon and, and that's where the discussion gets a bit divided. There's the eastern part of East Kowloon and then there's the western part of East Kowloon. So western part is the Kai Tak area where a lot of development uh, has been happening and a lot of new land parcels are coming. And we have been talking about this uh, you know, Bono Rail there, environmentally friendly transport systems, different names we have given and we have discussed to depth in the past, and none of them, unfortunately, were found uh, technically or uh, financially viable, and and somehow uh, they have been quietly dropped. Those projects from the Kai tak area, mm-hmm. the East Kowloon line that was promulgated in the previous RDS was actually running on the hillside, which is dev- dev- you know serving a lot of new housing developments like Anderson Road Quarry uh, mm-hmm. that is coming on the on the on the hillside, and that is actually i mean on the paper that project looks fantastic i mean that makes perfect sense but obviously it has a huge amount of engineering challenges and also uh it is a very um i would say complex project considering the amount of development that is happening there so obviously uh, i was a bit surprised that, that that project was just quietly again uh dropped from the policy address but i think from a uh transport connectivity perspective that is needed Uh, but obviously there are other ways to serve that you know you can supplement with a lot of buses there uh, and which will create another issues of course of the traffic and traffic management so mm. I don't know. I mean, it doesn't seem to be a clarity on how the transport infrastructure in East Kowloon, despite an injection of so many new people, housing, employment, uh, how that transport infrastructure is going to evolve uh, going forward.
6: Mm. That, that's mm. quite a very hilly area, isn't it?
7: Yes, it is. It, that's the hillside. And that's why constructing or, or drilling through that, that hillside is that. Engineering challenge, and I would say safety challenge as well, because, you know, when you drill through a, a, a tunnel through under housing and, and on a hillside, it can move rocks and it can create geological issues.
6: Right, because you there are limits to how steep trains can go up and down safely, the gradient of, of rail lines. So, well,
7: gradient of rail lines can be solved by by constructing tunnels, and yes. then we can have these high-speed lifts to to bring them to the to the you know ground right. level. So that possibly could be done again as an engineering point of view. But I think, considering so many people all, are already living on that hillside, if you're building a new tunnel, that may displace rocks and that may create issues for the existing housing uh, development there.
6: Right. See, so, because you'd have to be. Well under them, a long way below them, it, yes. so as not to disturb them, and yeah. that that means, like like at uh, Sai Ying Station, we have um, elevators which are a hundred meters, yeah. uh, uh, literally up to Bonham Road uh, from yes. the station. So you yeah. you'd be doing the same as that, or even more. I think is your is your message.
7: It would be more, yes. It would possibly be more.
4: Mm-hmm. Yeah. You, you mentioned uh, the monorail suggestion uh, uh, a little earlier, Alok. Uh, um, that was quite a sort of high-profile um, uh, project suggestion a few years ago. Just, just remind us again. Why was it dropped?
7: Well, uh, monorail was a bit of a fancy project. It took too much land. It took. Uh, I mean, it was very expensive to build, and amount of people it could move was very limited and it didn't really go all the way to where people wanted to go. It was just connecting to the existing MTR network, one at Kaotau Kok and other one at uh, Kai Tak. So it was just kind of a bit of a connection there and, you know, and it, the land issues on East Kowloon, when it, where it landed, uh, the, the road space is very limited, so it had to be elevated. It could have created tunnel effects. So there were a number of, I would say, the technical issues around that project, and it was not at all financially viable. Right. I mean, monorails, I, I always give this challenge to uh, people that show me cities which have built one monorail and then gone, gone on to build another one, and and there is a reason for that. Yes, so,
6: I, re- I remember the drawings of were very colourful and they showed this elevated monorail. Um, looked very exciting, very beautiful, but it, yeah, just, it doesn't work. Yeah, I can make
7: work. any picture look beautiful.
6: <laughs> <laughs> yes, the trouble is it's not viable. Yeah,
7: it is. Um, it was a bit of a uh, you know unviable, and it was not giving the capacity that was needed. Right. I mean, now you could achieve the same capacity through buses in Hong Kong, uh, which monorail was giving.
6: Especially, you got the uh, cruise terminal. Uh, that's right, yeah, and that's people. It's very high numbers for for a very short time. People coming off the boat, and then and dispersing, and then yep. a, a next generation of of passengers getting on board, um, yeah. which a monorail doesn't really tackle.
7: That's absolutely correct. Uh, I mean, three three thousand five hundred people. Uh, dispersing them is a challenge in a short period of time. And again, monorail was not really targeted towards that. That still had to be done with buses and, and uh, other modes of transport. But um, I mean, a ferry would make perfect sense, uh, you know, at, at that point. And I think that something cruise terminal had been proposing for quite some time, but that has uh, somehow not been taken up by the government. Hmm.
4: Okay, well, always an uh, interesting topic: uh, development and transport links and so on. Uh, 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 thanks very much uh, for speaking to us uh, on the program this morning. That's was um, um, Alec Jane, Managing Director of uh, Trans Consult Limited. Um, thank you to our listeners. Um, thanks very much uh, uh, to you, Mike. Some very interesting perspectives. There were this they? morning. There were. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Good. Thanks. Okay, uh, let's have a quick look at the weather before we go to. Uh, The brunch with Noreen and the news summary. Uh, It's going to be mainly fine and dry today. Top temperature around 29 degrees, uh, moderate to fresh easterly winds. Occasionally strong offshore. The outlook, uh, windy, mainly fine and dry in the next couple of days. It's currently 26 degrees, humidity 63%. Sitting for
6: too long is bad for your health. To guard against chronic diseases, like hypertension and diabetes, you should be more physically active and reduce your time spent sitting. Let's cut down on our chair time and get up and walk more